Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your discipleship in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again this week. We hope that you're having a very blessed day. Remember, you can catch us right here on your favorite Catholic radio station every week. And if you do miss an episode, catch us online. Go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. There you'll find our entire archive of about 100 episodes. So make sure to subscribe and then you won't miss any future conversations either. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to discuss the central role of prayer in building and supporting the common good. We are going to be speaking with a cloistered religious sister about the important active role that they play in holding up the church and the world and all of our efforts in the public arena. In our mailbag segment, we answer a question about helping to ensure students are kept safe while at school, whether they attend public or private schools. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, we have an important message for you to send to legislators about the dangers of legalizing recreational marijuana. And listeners, if you have an idea for that bricklayer segment, or maybe you just have a question about faith and politics, make sure to send those questions and ideas our way. You can shoot me an email. It's show at mncatholic.org, or you can find us on social media. Just search for Minnesota Catholic Conference. Pope Francis says that politics is one of the highest forms of charity because it serves the common good. But in a line that's often forgotten after that, when he said that, he also added that the most important thing that we can do for those in office and, and public life is to prayer. That's something that is, is to pray. Prayer is something that everyone can give and everyone can do to support uh, the work of the public, of our discipleship and public life and the work upholding the common good. We're blessed today to be joined on the line by someone who has dedicated her life to prayer and is going to share a little bit with us about her perspective on the importance of prayer in everything we do. We're joined by Sister Mary Bede of the Valley of Our Lady Monastery just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Valley of Our Lady is a monastery of the Cistercian Order, which is a reform branch of the Benedictines, and we'll hear a little bit more about that. The motto of Benedictine monasticism is Ora et Labora, or Prayer and Work, which sets the rhythm of their daily life. Sister Bede is originally from the Twin Cities and entered the monastery some years ago, and she's been uh, very gracious to join us. Really a special gift to hear from someone behind the cloister. So Sister Bede, welcome to the Bridge Builder Program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jason. First of all, say a little bit about the Cistercian Order for those who aren't familiar with it. I should add in full disclosure that I'm an oblate of Valley of Our Lady Monastery, so I'm not a disinterested interviewer here, but I think it's important for listeners to know a little bit about what the Cistercian Order is. I had someone ask me one time whether that was a diet. (laughs) So maybe you can clarify a little bit about the history of the Cistercians. Sure. So the name Cistercian actually comes from a Latin word, cito, um, and that's a, a place in, in France where our founders kind of set out. They were Benedictines originally, so as you mentioned, their rhythm of life was to pray and to work. But a lot of abuses had crept in, some less than perfect following of the rule of St. Benedict over the years. So our founders, Saints Robert, Albert, and Stephen, decided that they wanted to live the life a little bit more faithfully, so they set out with some companions and in 1098, they founded a new monastery where they wanted to 
support themselves with the, the work of their own hands, embrace a really simple but beautiful liturgy, and just get back to a very austere, prayerful, contemplative life. And so that those are our roots, and that's what we still try to do today as best we can in the modern culture, bringing it forward. Embracing monastic life and cloistered monastic, like contemplative, is a pretty countercultural choice. How did you find your way into the Cistercian Monastery of Valley of Our Lady? Well, I have the short version and the long version. The short version is, um, you know, God led me through a few moments of real clarity, one step at a time, from my high school years to the college that I went to, Catholic U, out in Washington, D.C., where I really started to discern religious life. Um, I just knew that my intended major of music was not what God wanted for me, so I finally had to ask him what he wanted for me. And he made it quite clear just in prayer that he was asking me to become a contemplative religious. And so as I looked at various orders, I found a small advertisement, for lack of a better word, for Valley of Our Lady Monastery. And again, I just knew with clarity in prayer that that was where God wanted me to live my life for him. Now, people, I think, are amazed sometimes when they hear that, that there are people out there in the world who just pray all day. When someone says that, how, how do you respond? How do you just pray all day? I know St. Paul says pray without ceasing, but it's one thing to say that, another thing to do it. Tell us about the rhythm of your daily life in prayer. Yes, yeah, so we try to make everything we do a prayer, and so we take prayer somewhat broadly, I guess you could say. Um, St. Augustine also has a beautiful quotation that the desire to pray is itself a prayer. So when we want to be praying all the time, when we want to be doing everything for God and with His grace, that is prayer. So we don't just sit around all day in chapel, although some people might think that just from not knowing what actually happens behind these walls, but we, we really do keep quite busy. We support ourselves by making altar prayers. We maintain our house. We cook. We clean. We do make our own clothing, of course. We can't go out to Target and buy a habit, so we sew for ourselves. We have classes in-house. We, we keep quite busy with work as well, so we're not immune to those burdens. We know what it's like to always have something next on the agenda. But we also have the great privilege and responsibility of praying the divine office. That takes several hours of our day. We gather seven times in choir to pray the Psalms in Latin. We use traditional Gregorian chant, and we also are blessed with the opportunity to attend Mass every day. So a priest from the diocese comes, different priests every day, they, they come to our monastery and celebrate the Mass for us. So we look at the, the office and the Mass as, you know, the, the source and center of everything that we do, and from that just flows the rest of our activities, our recreation, our work together. But it's all consecrated to God through those specific times of prayer, reminding ourselves of why we're here to praise and thank Him and to lift up all the needs and intentions of all of His children to Him on behalf of those who can't or won't take the time to pray. We all have our different roles in the the mystical body, and ours is really to try to turn everything we do on behalf of everyone else to Him and allow His grace to work through that. We're speaking with Sister Mary Bede of the Valley of Our Lady Monastery, the Cistercian Monastery near Madison, Wisconsin. You can learn more about them at their website, valleyofourlady.org. Sister Bede, tell us a little bit about the cloister. Then 
building off of what you just said about the your the rhythm of your daily life and making everything a prayer, what is the what is the purpose of the cloister and staying behind those walls as you called them and hidden from the world? Yes, great question. So people often wonder about that too and think that we're just trying to escape the busyness or the craziness of the world and that's not it at all. God calls us here not to escape, but to enter more deeply into the suffering and the joys of the people around us by being able to free ourselves from a lot of distractions and a lot of noise that is so much a part of the world and the culture as we know it today. So we withdraw a bit from that so that we can bring all of that suffering and that pain and all the struggles to our Lord in a more focused way and really just carry in our hearts instead of letting our our hearts and our our minds wander all over the place, really focusing on the one thing necessary and bringing all to Him. That's really beautiful. The Church calls all of us, Sister Bede, including cloistered religious sisters, to be faithful citizens. And I mentioned at the top of our show the Pope Francis quote about uh, politics being one of the highest forms of charity, but one of the most important things we can do in politics is prayer. Even though you're behind the cloister walls, tell us a little bit about how the monastery keeps up with current events and daily events while not inviting too much noise into life, and then how you lift up those events and the people outside in the world in prayer. I, I love that quotation from Pope Francis, and I have been reflecting on it. Again, we all have our particular part to play in the body of Christ, right? So that God is still calling people to the cloister means that he, he wants people here praying for all the world. And although we don't spend time on social media, we don't watch the news, we don't receive newspapers even, we're very aware of, again, the, the sufferings and the, the challenges and the joys, too, of, of the world around us. One sister is assigned to just look at the headlines quickly online every day and see if there's anything major that we should be praying about, praying for. But most of our news comes, honestly, through prayer requests. Priests who come to celebrate Mass might mention something in the prayer of the faithful, or people call us, email us, write letters, and just ask us, please pray for this or that special intention. Pray for our country, pray for our world, those who need um, God's help the most. And our hearts are very open to that. I think most of us probably have one particular prayer intention or type of prayer intention we're drawn to. For instance, someone here always prays for those who are tempted to despair, tempted to suicide. Someone might pray for families that are torn apart by divorce or abortion. And those intentions can change over the course of our, our lives here in the monastery. But we always try to take you know, something that particularly strikes our heart, resonates with us, and then universalize it. So we pray for someone who's having surgery and all of those who are having surgery today, someone who's struggling with a marriage and all of those who are struggling in their marriages or their family life. And we take that to the office, take it to Mass, offer those intentions to our Lord, but then we give everything we do throughout the day again to Him and just ask Him to disperse His graces to those who need them the most, even if we don't know them and they don't know us. 
Sister, is there a particular intention in, in terms of what's going on in the world today that, that your community has focused on or is it just seems to be coming up over and over and it has created a particular intention or prayer uh, request within your community, something that you're seeing or hearing just from the prayer requests or anything that you're getting that you think is notable that as the Lord has put on your hearts as a community to pray for in particular? Um, we haven't really talked about it so much as a community, you know, focusing our prayer on one particular aspect. I would say that throughout the ages, monasteries have always carried in particular whatever burden of their time needs to be carried. So I think all of us are very aware of the fast-paced noisiness of the world that is kind of seeming to close a lot of people off to the presence of God still at work. And so with all the craziness of the coronavirus, the recent election, and all of the discord that we see around us, I think what we're trying to pray especially for is that people come back to the fundaments of our life, of our faith, and really turn back to our Lord and say, okay, with all that's going on, all this pain and confusion, what's really important? Come back to the full life of the Church, the life of the sacraments. Really seek truth and God's presence in everything and kind of refocus on what's essential. So I think that's probably the, the basic underlying intention that all of us have, and I, I would hope all Catholics would have, that through this purification, whatever God is doing or allowing to happen in the world, we just come to a, a closer relationship with Him and with one another through it. We're speaking with Sister Mary Bede of Valley of Our Lady Monastery about the importance of prayer in our lives, whether it's behind the cloister or out in the public arena. Sister Bede, I think our conversation helps break down that sometimes false dichotomy of active versus contemplative life in the sense that maybe when we think about contemplative life, we need to think about action in a broader sense because the work that you're doing is very, very important and the, the prayers that you offer are lifting up the world and, and supporting it really all around us. What do you tell lay people or folks with whom you come in contact with or people who write you saying, how do I cultivate the life of prayer in my own life outside the cloister? Do you have any tips for those of us outside the cloister about building a hermitage of the soul, one might say? Yes, another great question. So we do receive inquiries like that, and I, I recommend that people just take a few minutes. It could be just two, three, five minutes every day just for prayer, not to be reading, not to be looking at their iPhones or whatever the latest gadget is. Just set aside a few minutes for our Lord alone, and He'll work through that. He sees our openness. He sees, wow, this person is turning to me in trust and love, or maybe in anger or hurt or disappointment to share whatever is in this person's heart. And He'll hear that, and He'll respond. But I think we have to take that effort, as tiny as it is, five minutes a day can really make a difference. The more, the better, obviously. But we have to let God know that He really is first, and we're willing to sacrifice something else that we might prefer to do and turn to Him instead for a few minutes. And I think, you know, from that grows greater devotion and a greater desire once we taste 
a little bit of our Lord's love and presence in our life. We just want more and more and more, and we learn how He is present in everything we do. Again, getting back to the, the work and prayer motto of the Benedictine Spirit, it's not like we are, you know, just sitting in chapel, like I said, all day. We, we don't. But we learn from those times with our Lord specifically that He's with us in everything. And so I think anyone can experience that and let it grow. In some ways, Sister Bede, politics, we say, is the community coming together and deciding how we order our lives. That's the Aristotelian definition embraced by the Church and St. Thomas Aquinas. But every community, including a religious order, is a little polis, a little political community. How is your life ordered? How do you build the common good or work for the common good within your own sphere of a religious community behind cloistered walls? Through love, little acts of love, um, that's the most important thing, I think. But we do have a hierarchy, of course. We have a structure of abbots and abbesses throughout our order, spread throughout the world, really. But within our particular monastery, we have a superior and someone who is kind of the second in command, you might say. The superior is someone we elect, all of the solemnly professed sisters, will vote to elect our superior. It doesn't happen very often. We just had our, our first, the first election that I've taken part in last year. But then from that, she will appoint various officers to various positions within the monastery. So it, it's very ordered and regulated. And then all of that hierarchy and structure is meant to cultivate a life of communion, relationships between the sisters, so that we can live in peaceful harmony with each other and really support one another in our common search for God. There's no better way of saying what our political order should look like than what's going on inside a religious order. And I think you laid it out perfectly, rules, order, hierarchy, but at the same time built around love. And we're called to build a civilization of love. And so we can learn a lot as a church and as a world from monastic life. So thank you, Sister, for offering that witness. Your particular religious house was started in the late 50s, if I'm correct, by some Swiss Cistercians, and you've been in that spot ever since, but it's time to perhaps have a new facility, a new monastery needs to be built. Say a little bit about your building project uh, that's going on in Wisconsin. Yes, so you're correct. Our founders has arrived in 1957, and we've been living in kind of a hodgepodge of buildings since then um, that are increasingly deteriorating, and the, the cold of winter always gets to us in particular. But I'm amazed more and more as I think about the, the progress of our new monastery campaign. You know, we've known for over 20 years that we need to move. This, these buildings were never meant to be a permanent monastery. But it's really just in the past year or so that things have really taken off. And I marvel at that with the coronavirus, everything that has happened within the past year or so. I thought, well, here we go again. Our plans were finally looking like they might be possible, might be coming to fruition, and now the economy is going to fall apart. No one's going to want to support a new monastery. What are we going to do? But we kind of, we waited, we prayed, and then we said, well, let's see if we can keep moving forward. And the response has been incredible. We have now raised about $12.5 million out of $18 million. Not all of that was in the last year, but people have been generous. I think they see that this monastery is something stable, and they want people to continue to pray throughout the centuries to come 
and they see that God really is blessing us with vocations, with continued inquiries, and continued growth, and is seeming to bless the new monastery project now more than within any other time within the past 20 years since we began to think about moving. So to me, that's just a great sign of hope and encouragement that he really does want this life to continue as part of his mystical body. And that website, sister, is build.valleyofourlady.org for that new monastery project. Am I correct about that? That's correct, yes. Wonderful. People may not know this, but the Cistercian Order is the only religious order in the Christian world, I think, I could be wrong about this, that has its own distinct brand of architecture, though. Am I correct, sister? As far as I know, that's correct, yes. And so there's there's a great tradition of be using the natural world in building that to conserve light and heat, and you've really embraced that in the designs for your new monastery and also have been inspired by uh, Pope Francis's call for ecological conversion in, in his encyclical Laudato Si. So my understanding is that the, the new monastery you're trying to build is both traditional yet in keeping with both the style but also in the way in which it uses the natural world to create a sustainable project and a sustainable building for the long term. Yes, very much so. We try to be good stewards of everything God gives to us. And in particular, right now we're focusing on the material side with, with building the new monastery and making sure that we build in a holistic way, not going to extremes, but just really respecting the environment and the ecosystems where we're building. Because our life is very much a life of solitude and communion with God in in nature. So we want to make sure that that continues for generations to come as well. So we're definitely looking at uh, sustainable materials, trying to look into solar energy, geothermal, all those options to make the best use of God's creation as we can and not abuse the, the gifts that he, he gives to us each day. Sister, correct me if I'm wrong, but your community is the only English-speaking community of Cistercians left in the world. Am I correct about that? Of nuns of our particular order, that's correct. In the English-speaking world, we're the only ones. We're the only ones in North America. There are also monks in North America, but nuns of our order. Now, the Trappists and Trappistines are our cousins, but they are actually a, a separate order, even though they have Cistercian roots and Cistercian traditions. And there are Cistercian nuns also in the United States, but of our traditional Cistercian order, we're the only ones. Well, they're only like, the Trappists are only like 350 years old, so you've got like 500 years on them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. In God's time, that's nothing. Indeed. Um, It's just a beautiful tradition, and I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know you and the community and grateful for your witness of prayer and for your appearance on the Bridge Builder program today, sharing both about your new monastery project, which is really building something beautiful for God that will last a long time and be an inspiration to the uh, community in which it resides, but also the broader community around the world. Sister, where can people go to learn more about your community and this important monastery project? As you mentioned, our website is a great place to start, org, and that has links to our community website as well, which is org. I think if someone just types into Google Valley of Our Lady, both of those websites would come up too. And people are always welcome to email us, call us, send us prayer requests. We do have a small space available for retreats as well for people who need a little bit of time to refresh themselves in the peaceful quiet of a cloister 
and um, experience God's presence in prayer there, too. Wonderful. Well, we're grateful for your important witness of prayer, and we ask, Sister, that you keep all the listeners of the Bridge Builder Program in the prayers of the monastery. That'd be so appreciated. Oh, we definitely will, and thank you for your good work as well. Like I said a couple of times, we all have our role to play, and we're grateful that there are people out there spreading the word and doing the active part as well. Wonderful. Sister Mary B. to Valley of Our Lady of Monastery, build.valleyofourlady.org. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to see what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, so recently we've heard in the news about a bill here in Minnesota that would provide funding to schools to improve safety. And that bill includes funding for both public and private. Some legislators aren't in favor of funding going to private schools. Jason, can you maybe just fill us in on what this bill is and why non-public schools should be included in it. Well, the legislature authorized the school districts, local public school districts, to do safe school levies and raise money for various projects related to school safety. And that can be like counseling, facilities improvements, et cetera, et cetera. So that's already on the books. But what this bill would do that's being discussed this year at the Capitol would to create permanent state funding for that safe schools program and then include non-public schools as well. And so the Minnesota Catholic Conference and other non-public education partners are advocating for this important legislation. It's our firm belief that when there are public programs available in an educational context that meet challenges that everyone faces, safety, school climate, all these issues, then those should be available to our students on a per-pupil basis. So we shouldn't discriminate public school, private school, depending on the parent's school choice. Those should be available to all. And indeed, our state already does this in the non-public pupil programs that made a policy choice many years ago to say, we're going to provide certain benefits to kids regardless of the school that they attend. And so our students in non-public schools receive things like textbook aid, counseling aid, etc. And so transportation aid, these are things that the state already does. And so what we want to do is just say, look, in the safe schools funding, non-public schools should be included because, again, these are challenges everyone faces. Certain legislators, unfortunately, are saying, well, this isn't constitutional because aid is somehow occurring to non-public schools. Well, it's going to the students, first of all, and, and focused on them and their needs. But second of all, it just misses that the state and federal constitutions, these issues have been litigated and discussed, and it's clearly acceptable to provide these funding programs that are focused on students. So that Safe Schools program, it's being led in the Senate by Senator Roger Chamberlain, a really important program, and we're working to get it passed this year. Wonderful. Thanks, Jason. And before we go, we want to leave our listeners with an action that they could take to be bricklayers. How do you suggest that they get involved this week? Well, a few weeks back, we had a listener ask about a bill in Minnesota that is attempting to legalize recreational marijuana. The legalization of recreational marijuana is a threat to the flourishing of everyone, but particularly the young, the poor, and those who struggle with substance abuse. As Catholics, we are called to create conditions that allow for human flourishing. A spirit of solidarity requires that we reject the wishes of the small segment of the population that has the means to address the consequences of frequent marijuana use, much like our folks in Hollywood who regularly flout that. We should instead promote the common good. Pope Francis said in a speech in 2013 that reducing drug addiction will not be achieved 
by liberalization of drug use. And in fact, he has spoken explicitly about efforts to legalize marijuana and has opposed them. Marijuana legalization degrades these principles of human dignity because it teaches a harmful lesson. Altering reality with a drug that harms our body is supposedly permissible, but it's not. By realizing this truth, we remove selfish vices such as drug use that harm ourselves and those around us. And instead, we should embrace acts of self-sacrificial love. It's sad that this legislation is being promoted at our state capitol, especially as a diversion focused apparently on social justice outcomes, which it's not. That's just a diversion and a marketing tactic to create a big business. It's Big Tobacco Part 2 or Version 2. We have an easy way for you to send a message to your legislators on this issue. By visiting the Catholic Advocacy Network Action Center, you can simply click on the Act Now button on the Marijuana Action Alert. Just enter your name and address. The message goes to your correct lawmakers, and then you hit Submit. From there, you can also call your legislators. That's the Catholic Advocacy Network Action Center. You won't even need to dial their numbers. Just enter your phone number. You'll receive a call from MCC that will connect you to each of your lawmakers. Go to mncatholic.org slash action center and click on our all new and improved action network now. We also want to quickly remind all our listeners to make sure to get your tickets for Catholics at the Capitol. You don't want to miss this incredible day filled with advocacy, prayer, and education. New this year, we'll be bringing Christ to the Capitol. Don't miss this amazing day to be formed in the faith informed on the issues, and the opportunity to transform our state by advocating on mission for life and dignity. Join us in St. Paul on April 15th. Get your tickets at catholicsatthecapital.org. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you're on our podcast app, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes out. Thanks for tuning in today. The Bridge Builder will be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Sapiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a blessed day.